Welcome to One Long Conversation. I'm Sonia. And I'm Colby. This is a podcast about spiritual awakening. Yeah, and through that we talk about art, culture, conscious parenting, and healing yourself so you can express and freely share your unique perspective with this world. This is a fun and informative conversation that we have daily, and we're sharing it with you. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. A little symbol. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll hear, I'll hear our intro, our intro music, and sometimes when I listen to it, I'm like, oh, that's right, Colby made that. <laughs> yeah, because it's so catchy. Yeah, yeah, it's a good little jingle. It's a little ditty. Remember all my little ditties? That's what I call yeah. a little ditty. Yeah. My little baby, you are so lovely. I didn't start that one. Your father did. He's really? the one who did that. Oh, no, 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 no. I did that one. No, he's the who is the, who is the little boy sitting on my knee. He's the That's cutie right. boy. His name is Colby. I totally forgot that one, that one though. I he made that, that one. one. No, I made up the, the diaper changing song is my little baby. Mm-hmm. My little baby, you are so lovely. You are my boy. You are my joy. I do my little percussive thing. Chica chica. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good song. That's, Catchy. That's the way my mind it's a good works hook, sometimes. You know, it, it's, I remember it to this day. <laughs> my little baby, you are so wonderful. You are my son. You are the one. Chica chica. You had me do the chica chica for Mars because I did a chica chica chica. And you said, well, what if you did chica chica? You did it when you were four. And I said, oh, and you said, already producing. (laughs) (laughs) You said, I said, why do you like that one? You said, it's quicker. Oh, my God. So I said, oh, okay, let's do it quicker. I was like, something's going on here. (laughs) Yeah, clearly. Jesus. (laughs) Hey, I knew what I liked. (laughs) That was so funny. I had a lot of little ditties for you kids. So anyway, um. What is going on? What keeps presenting to me in my now, in my life right now? It's this constant theme. You know, when, you, when you're observing, when you come into being the observer, which I've arrived in. I arrived last year more. I've been in, I've been in the process of it. But you see a similar theme in your relationships with people. You see a similar theme in, in your work. You see a similar theme then when you go online, you go on social media and you see that same theme, go on to YouTube, you see that same thing, theme, you see, you, I listen to podcasts, other, I listen to a lot of other people's podcasts and I hear the same theme. I even see it in our cats. I see it in our relationships. I observe it. I see it going on all around. The theme that's happening that I'm seeing and I'm going to like put, I'm going to put out the entire just the, the fullness of it without any sort of a deep analysis. And we can do the analysis part mm-hmm. if that feels good to you. Mm-hmm. I am seeing people fearing change, which we've talked about many times. People fearing change and 
I'm seeing that fear of change, in my observation, mostly coming from people who are over 50. Hmm. And then I've noticed this is coming from people who are over 50 who have a higher level of consciousness, who are doing their part to keep the balance of living organically and natural as possible compared to all the tech that's coming in. I see that there's a tremendous amount of fear about the tech coming in. Then I am observing that people who are 50 and under, or and there are some of us that are over 50 that are in the category, the second category now, who are seeing the excitement and the joy of this new time coming in and are realizing that everything can be utilized as advantageous to the raising of the consciousness of humans. And I'm seeing that. And it's like I'm being shown the duality of what's happening from a standpoint that's back in the balcony of the observer. My mind will go to, I'm looking through 4D. I'm looking through the 4D lens at a 3D situation. Mm -hmm. And what I'm being shown in my meditations by my higher self, my guides, is continue to just follow the flow live more synchronistically, allow the synchronicities to come in and you take action when those synchronicities align for you. Like we're, we're getting ready to move. That was literally just, it's like it was handed to us. Oh, here, do this. This is your next step. And it's, you don't resist that. Um, the former business group that I was in, all of that literally was just dissolving. And it was can I step out of it now? Oh, sure. Step out of it now. And as I stepped out of that, all these other things just suddenly opened up. And mm-hmm. it's like, you leave that, you learned from that. Now you, now you, it's like, you, now you quantum jump into this. Mm-hmm. And why I feel this is really important for us to talk about, not just in this episode, but other episodes, and we've touched on this, is because what I, the part that I am here to, to play in the evolution, the ascension process of humanity is for everyone to stop, breathe, relax, love yourself, trust the process, trust source, universe, great spirit, prime creator, God, whatever your name is for all the oneness, and know that there is a divine movement happening. It mm-hmm. is divine that the divine is not destroying itself and all is perilous and we're in the apocalypse and apocalypse doesn't even mean what we think it does. Mm-hmm. That we're in the apocalyptic time and this is revelations in the Bible and it's just, you know, and, and we've already, what I'm hearing is like things like we've already gone too far and we can't save ourselves from this. Now we have to make the best of the timelines that we're on now. And it's like, who are you to decide if we're on some sort of a perilous apocalyptic timeline? The earth is changing. Humans are changing. We knew this time was coming. Why is it bad? Because there's this, there's this theme that I'm noticing Mm -hmm. that people who are over 50, who say that they're conscious 
and are doing their best to help. And I truly believe that they, they're really in their best intention, but they're putting out, they're releasing publicly a lot of doom and gloom. Well, people are scared of death. Yes. So I, I think, first of all, we have to realize that death, destruction, and peril are all part of this uh, greater plan. And <laughs> they so, are because we like to experience it. Yeah, and and it's just it is the natural cycle of things. It's not even it's not even like there is no like. It's literally it's just part of. In order to be a part of the great oneness that is, you literally you have to die and be you reborn. Do. And and because without life, there there cannot be life without death. If so, you do not have death, you will not focus on creating as much as you do. If you know that there's only now, if, if, if you're literally here, the reason we don't live for 500 years is because we're not going to create the way that we want to create. Yeah, not yet. Don't. I mean, I, I think we will hit a point, uh, you know, provided that we, we don't do something like blow ourselves up, that we will actually be able to live like 500 some odd years. And I don't really know what form that will take, but it'll kind of be whatever it is that people choose. But I definitely get what you're saying. I think, I think that people get paralyzed in the decision-making process and they give up their freedom of choice to other sources. And that's not really what we're meant to do. So that brings a feeling of depression and anxiety and when you, I mean, because literally it's like you're here to kind of control your own path and make your own choices. And so you can choose, like the way I see it is like, you know, you can choose in a, in a doom and gloom situation to, you know, kind of like let your emotions and your anxieties and everything like take control of you and, and you can essentially give up your freedom of choice. I don't even really necessarily care what the end result is. From my perspective, the opposite end of that and the one that I would much rather take is knowing that I am always making the decision that I chose to make, regardless of whether that ends in my own peril or not. Because if I'm constantly acting in a way that ensures that, you know, I'm at least trying to make my future a certain way, then I, all that anxiety goes away because I'm trying my best. And I, I think that, I think that a lot of people have really succumbed to this, this depressive sort of like, well, I guess we did our best, but they didn't really they didn't really do their best. And, and so this is where I'm kind of like, I see, I see a contradiction in, in humanity between what it is that they say they want and what it is that they're actually doing. And this has been something that has frustrated the ever-living shit out of me for a long, long period of time and brought upon a great depression and anxiety of my own, just knowing that people are... It's like, I remember one time I went on a very, very passionate speech about how people could change things if they like if they just decided to band together and actually start like supporting each other from a ground level as opposed to waiting for some authority to make a decision about who they should support and who they shouldn't support and people reacted so depressively to that they were just kind of like yeah not as though that had ever happened and it's like well you're right fucking here who are you next to become better friends and support each other 
and 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 that's how I felt. And uh, you know, and so it was very tremendously infuriating and and saddening for me to, to witness that for a while. But you know, I'm kind of I'm getting past it at this point because you you can't really sit in that forever. But kind of where where I feel where I feel it's people are at now is it's kind of like okay so you say you're tired of the system that we have and i for me personally i could care less one way or another i will do my absolute best to make sure that i live a life that is satisfying and supportive to myself and my family no matter what that's that's what i care about for me but i also do care about what other people go through and i care about their own happiness and and i would like to empower people and make them feel as though the I would like to for them to see the reality that the choice is actually theirs, and they always have the power to make decisions that could that could change the course of the future, no matter where it is that they're at. You know, they, it's not necessarily like you're only stuck on a path if you say you're stuck on a path and you believe that you're stuck on a path. And if you do that for ten years, then yeah, you're stuck on a path. But at any point in those ten years, you could be like you know what, I'm going to do a different path. And the thing about 3D is that the longer you go down that path, the more work it change, it takes to change the course because you carry momentum. Like like molecules, gravity, energy, all of these things are momentous. They carry a lot of force. And so it takes a lot for you to reverse what's already been set into motion sometimes if you've gone down far enough. And so I think people are kind of like being faced with the fact that their complacency at this point has led them down a path that they may not necessarily want, but the momentum is so great that it will take a lot of change within them for them to actually make a difference. And that feels very depressing to them because they've gotten very accustomed and used to certain uh, freedoms and what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, just ways of living that would not necessarily be able to exist if they, if they change things. So for example... Um, people are frustrated with the fact that we live in a system where we basically exchange money to each other and our system of money feels very dissatisfying to a lot of people. A lot of people in the first world feels like they don't have a purpose. Their jobs are meaningless. Uh, they feel like they're constantly being like taken from all the time. A lot of people in the third world, I can't even imagine how they feel, you know, cause, <laughs> cause they're getting the, as far as the economic status of things go, they're getting the shortest end of the stick. And in the first world, we complain a lot, but we don't even really think about that a lot of the time. Um, and just the, the basic like sort of struggles of 3d living that some people have to go through in other parts of the worlds, like that's something that people definitely need to think of more, but like their opinion needs to be taken into account too. If they actually want change to happen, there needs to be some level of like, really momentous action from those parts of the world too like if if people want to change the the monetary system that we have now they need to make a huge huge change if they want to stop because basically the money is connected to technology that we're developing and it's connected to our um uh environmental status as a as a globe too so if if people want to halt that train, they need to actually halt the train. They need to actually put a stop to it. And at this point, the momentum is going so hard, the only way that they're actually going to be able to do that is by taking some severe action. It'll either be probably a combination, depending on how much pushback there is, of strong action from a personal level at first that could potentially evolve into violent action as a collective species. That's the only way that it's going to be able to put it. You're going to actually be able to stop it. Because waiting for changes to happen on a minute level, one country at a time is not enough. Because the people who are actually like making big decisions can literally just 
fly to another country to avoid having to hear you talk about your problems. So they, they don't care. There's no reason for them to care. And I don't even blame them for that. That's just their style of life. That's what it is. So first and foremost, people need to stop buying into companies that are actively causing environmental change. And this is most of them. You know, big corporations are one of the main reasons why this is happening. And that's going to require people to give up a lot of their personal things that they've grown really accustomed to. Um, they're going to need to give up a lot of store-bought stuff. This is going to need to be, if, if we want it to be peaceful and not, like, genocidal, it's going to need to be a really gradual change. Because if we stop, like, we're in, like, in Oregon, we're in a really good place for that to happen. We could stop doing that right now and be supported by a billion local farms, tons of local, like, industry. Like, we have tons, we're basically, like, a survivalist mecca over here. But it's not the same for somebody who lives in, like, Oklahoma. Like... There are people who live in, in places where they don't actually have farms, like local farms, to be able to go to because either all the land is owned by big agriculture that only farms one crop, or they live in dense cities. Like some people live in food deserts where the closest food that they can get is like convenience stores and they don't even have grocery stores. This is true for a lot of low income places and especially places that are higher in density of uh, people. Uh, of color, minorities, black people, Hispanics, mostly black people, though, especially in like middle America um, and natives, Native Americans, too. This is this is a big issue for them. So we have to realize that in order to actually like make changes that are going to like cause people to, first of all, be more self-sufficient and be able to take more responsibility, because this is the exchange. If you're if you're saying I want to be able to change the course of the world and I want to stop all of these companies from deciding how much pollution occurs, from deciding how fast the climate change occurs, from deciding how little or much money I make. Well then, I mean, yeah, you can do that, but you also have to understand that what you're giving up is your freedom to be lazy. You have to then understand that there's a ton more responsibility that you're taking upon yourself. It's a lot of work managing your own life without these corporations doing it for you. That's why they get paid so much money. It's like people think that their money has been stolen from them. And yeah, there are thieves out there, but like a lot of this has been voluntary exchange. It's people selling. It's, it's selling, hey, I can make this part of your life easier for you if you give me some money. And it's like they're not even necessarily poor intention with that. They just see an opportunity to make money. And it is gen that is how our world has evolved, is people coming up with ideas of how to make life easier. And by doing that, they expedite the destruction of the world around them. And that's just when now we're being faced with the consequences of that. And people are like, hey, wait, what? Hold on. Like, I didn't expect that. But, but that's okay. Like, you can, make the, you can make the change to do something different. It's going to take a lot, though. It's going to take some work. So one of the things is like... If you live in an area that's that's a food desert, you're going to need to start finding ways to seize land for agricultural use by one of two ways. You can either do that uh, in a violent protest-oriented way by seizing agricultural land that's already been farmed. I think a lot of that land has kind of been sucked dry and it's, it's barren, so I wouldn't do that. What I would do is I would actually focus on tackling land and housing at the same time. And I would say like, say for example, you live in a city that's really dense. You don't have the ability to grow your own food and pretty much all you have around you is like convenience stores. And that's like where you get the most of your food. Okay, so the number one thing that you should look into then is you should look into uh, practices that 
like hydroponic practices, like growing indoors. And you should start seizing apartment buildings to start growing your food indoors, which is going to be very illegal. Like most apartments aren't going to allow you to do that. So you need to do it in secret. You need to do it without people actually uh, knowing. And you have to like go around and you have to talk to everyone. You have to start creating like tenants unions where you're talking to all the individual like tenants and being like, hey, we need to, you know, kind of band together on this. We need to start. And it's going to require you to put aside a lot of prejudices because chances are you've probably had some neighbors that you're not happy with and you probably don't want to talk to some people that you're around. That's also something that's keeping you from actually making the change that you want to change. So you're going to need to start bridging those gaps and finding ways to have mutual interest and uh, mutual love and just a general sense of purpose that joins you as opposed to repulses you. Because if you're too focused on the fact that, you know, Dolores is, you know, playing like country music at 3 a.m. and she's pissing me off. Well, it's like Dolores is doing that to cope, you know, like you got to kind of build a bridge with Dolores and help her feel a little bit better about the world that she lives in, too, because you're not the only one who feels depressed and anxious. It's like there's a lot of other people in the world that feel that way, too. They're probably right next to you. The only way that we're going to be able to overcome that is if we overcome those like small. Uh, this is very frustrating. Uh, small um, differences between one another and actually make the the leap to this is very distracting i'm having a, i'm having a really hard time finishing my sentence i think it's i think it's apropos actually that as we're talking about how to get out of this yeah as it's going past yeah <laughs> the landscapers i remember in my lifetime when there were no landscapers like this mm -hmm. and everything was beautiful mm -hmm. and the land was gorgeous and people people actually had grass cutters and they actually cut the own their their own lawns with their own grass cutters but what is a great solution for all of that and here's another solution and what everything you're going on is instead of having lawns have a garden mm -hmm. if you have a house you know, I, I like I I drive around all these cities and, you know, do my system job. And I'm like, look at all that yard you could be growing your food in. Mm -hmm. What happened to that? Mm -hmm. All the backyard, all the front yard you'd be growing. And there are people who do this, like Rob Greenfield, Robin Greenfield. Mm -hmm. He's he's decided he was going to do exactly what you have, were talking about in the beginning. He said, I was trying to climb the corporate ladder. I'm in my mid-20s. I'm totally unhappy, but I grew up in poverty in northern Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to make a better life for myself and eventually for my family. And it, it made him really unhappy. So he decided to step out of the system. Mm -hmm. And I got to get back to earth. And he's still on this mission. I have donated to some of his funds for planting trees, fruit trees around the country, literally in dense populated urban areas. And that's another solution. Start planting food trees mm -hmm. in urban areas. Totally. Because as you know, and of course we live, as we've already shared, we live in a food Mecca. Mm -hmm. But when we lived in Portland, we were urban foraging because Portland was, especially Southwest and Northwest, they were planting their own food trees when they founded it and it was orchards and it was gardens. And so that was, it was, it's easy to urban forage in those areas, but that's not the only place. Again, Rob Greenfield, he shows people how to urban forage in places like Washington, DC. Mm -hmm. 
and how you can eat literally from what we think of as weeds, which is really food and how mm-hmm. to identify them. What is edible and what is not? That's something that we did. Most people, unless you live in a food desert, mm-hmm. most people can do this. I And so just to... I feel I didn't really fully get to flesh out my idea for F- flesh the, out your idea. I want because that was a good role until Mister Mister. <laughs> yeah, until the landscape. Mister Big by. Machine went by. <laughs> well, and you know he's just doing this so that he can feed his family too. He's doing it's if, just a if, job. So for him. basically, what what a lot of my solutions come from is the idea that in order to actually make change, people are going to have to take the responsibility upon themselves to form strong communities where they have all of their resources available in their communities. Correct. And at some places around the world, even like in America, people are at way less of an advantage to be able to do that than like we are over here. Like we're in a really good place to do that. There are people in places in America that it would be like a huge climb to get to that point. So in order to stop those people from just like, you know, dying out as the government collapses or like fighting amongst themselves and essentially resorting to thievery and violence, like they need to start taking small steps to really band together and uh, utilize the people around them to start forming uh, different organizations. And so these organizations I see eventually growing into basically like city states, like small, uh, small or um, uh, industrialized, quote unquote, agriculturalized villages, basically. So I think if everybody, like at a, at a base level, I think we need to uh, aim for more of a um, sort of a system of organization that I guess would be like anarcho-communism, where it's like decentralized, everybody contributes equally to funding every resource individually and then doing that at a small level so we have our own food in our own community of like you know several hundred people we have our own resources we have pretty much everything we need and then you know we'll, there'll be kinks there we need to work out systems of trade for other resources that we need um, and then the biggest thing obviously is figuring out like electricity and all that but at the very beginning just as a base level like let's just tackle food here so if, if you're in a food desert an urban food desert and you're really struggling to be able to um, get just anything outside of like cheap junk that is being basically provided to you by companies that are actively contributing to the destruction of this environment and your own health, then you're kind of in a tough spot, but you need to meet with a bunch of people that are your neighbors and really address the situation. First of all, get everyone on the same page and be like, hey, this is the reality of the situation. Like we are all dying of various diseases and the things that we're buying are funding the pockets of people that really at this point have no reason to care about us. They're so, also killing your body. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's yeah, that's what yes. I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> so so in order to in order to change that, we need to basically create a system of agriculture that adopts to the urban environment that we live in, which means we need to be able to grow our food indoors. And we need to be able to take like probably if you're in that position, you probably don't own a house. Maybe you do know somebody who owns a house. If you do know somebody who owns a house, maybe you can ask them if you can use their house to start really creating and growing food. That might take a little bit of convincing, um, but it would be worth checking out. If not, if you're in like an apartment situation um, and I'm thinking worst case scenario, you live in like a high rise apartment, right? Um you're going to need to find a way to band together with your tenants to use one apartment, basically rent out one apartment building as your grow house and then grow all of your food in that apartment building. And every tenant contributes money to growing with the electricity. They contribute to growing talking, with everything. There. Talking to per- the person that has the mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is you're saying, 
you have space for us to be able to grow. You have an outside area as well that we can make a garden. We could actually turn your entire backyard into a garden. It would provide food for you. Mm-hmm. It would provide food for your family. Mm-hmm. It would provide food for myself. It would provide food for multiple neighbors. And if you gave us your front yard, mm-hmm. that would be food for the neighborhood. We could start feeding the neighborhood mm-hmm. on a garden. Now, there's all kinds of people, as you know, that are doing this already. There's totally. people that are doing this on the East Coast. We, we have a lot of that over here in the Pacific Northwest with community gardens, here. which is really good. It's it's awesome that we have that. And, and that's that, that's across the country as well, that people have community gardens. That's but people true. need to step up more. More of that. Them. And I'm also thinking even worst case scenario, like if you don't, like if you live in a, such an urban environment where there where there's no houses or there's no there's no land to be able to grow things Yeah, on. well, that's what, so, that's what your little indoor garden is exactly for. so that's that's where you would really need to start taking and this is what i'm saying this is like people hear that and they're kind of like oh god that's an uphill climb but this is like it isn't that's what well it is it's what you need to do though you need at this point it's like you need to stop wishing that things could be easier and you need to start actually doing the things that need, need to be done to make otherwise you're not gonna have any change happen you're gonna be sad and depressed for the rest of your life the world's gonna be on fire more and more every single year and then you're going to wonder why everything was the way it was and why your life was filled with so much suffering by the time you're dying. So The thing, but the change is not, it isn't that much of an uphill climb when you actually begin. When 2020 came in and the scamdemic started, I said, I, I mean, I wasn't working seven days a week. I was working seven days a week for two years prior to that just to get us, you know, at the poverty level line or a little bit above. And I was tired. And then it was like, oh, well, you get two weeks off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In March. And it was like, well, let's go down and see Colby in Springfield. I could actually like see some of those areas that all I'm doing is working. And I really never get a chance to actually see this beautiful Mecca state that I live in. And then it was, okay, it's going to go on for a little longer than two weeks. And, you know, right away, one of my bosses was like, Sonia, you need to get yourself on unemployment right away. This is not a two week break. There is an economy crash agenda going on. It was RJ. I so Mm -hmm. appreciated him. So I did. And I'm like, okay. And then when I saw how much the checks were, I said, all right, let's, let's start a garden. So I did. Mm -hmm. I bought, I I spent a thousand dollars on growing my own food. and. It was one of the most satisfying expeditions that I ever went on. It was so satisfying, passionate, relaxing. I wanted to spend my entire day on our little deck making that garden. Oh, yeah. And growing that garden and watching the bees and the butterflies come in and then learning that, oh, you put flowers in there too to attract the pollinators. And then you need to put herbs in between in order as pet natural pesticides. And I'm like, Oh, that was so fun. And I already had a lot of that knowledge. And I, you know, I'm like, I have some of this knowledge already. Mm-hmm. This is amazing. So also for people that are in an urban environment where they're living in apartment buildings, look on Amazon, they have vertical garden racks. You mm-hmm. can vertical garden, mm-hmm. vertical gardening, save space. It is hydroponic, mm-hmm. totally works actually very affordable mm-hmm. seeds are so affordable heirloom seeds are so affordable and yes it's going to take the shift in to get yourself out of the system which we're i raised you in that shift already mm-hmm. you're going to buy everything used mm-hmm. 
Yeah. You're going to buy everything refurbished. And make your own stuff, too. You're going to make your own the, stuff. The, the, the trade here <laughs> is that you're going to be, instead of spending a lot of money up front, you're going to be spending a lot of time learning skills. Yes, and you are. And those skills are going to exchange, in exchange for those skills, instead of having this sort of empty hole in your pocket and feeling like I just need to make more and more money, you're going to have a sense of confidence knowing that you can do so much more in so many different scenarios. Literally, this is just upping your survival, your survivability, which is what a lot of people are looking for and a lot of reason why people feel so hopeless is because they built skill sets that only apply to one specific area or one specific way in which the world works and as the world changes they're finding that their skill sets are less applicable so they make them feel less safe and i think this is especially true for people who are 50 and older because a lot of them they grew up in an in, in an era where things seemed like they were going to be a lot smoother than they were. And a lot of them even had this kind of like Jetsons-esque view about the future. Oh, I you agree. Know? Oh, absolutely. It is in all humans' DNA. It's encoded to grow your own food, mm-hmm. to build your own dwellings, to make your own clothing, to make your own light. Um, you know, I'm not suggesting everybody goes back to, you know, just soul candlelight. But, you know, I mean, that's a good thing to have. It may be necessary. It if, may be. If the struggle for electrical becomes, because if, if people like, say, in a late stage of this sort of like uh, community uh, communized, basically, if, if, in these communes, if, if we get to a point where it's enough of the workers really like investing in, in having ground up communes between themselves and gaining a lot of their resources, the biggest things that are going to come up are going to be, well, first of all, how do you pay electricity or like, because that's still going to be a draw of money. And then how do you pay for like that's water? That's one of the that's largest be a draw. energy sucks mm-hmm. on this planet Yep, is the fossil fuels electrical grid yep and that was one of the biggest mistakes that we did as humanity and that we allowed to happen it's really hard to get out of it's hard to get out of you you that like everyone relies on it at in some way or another electricity is tied into everyone's lives on a very deep level and i would say electricity and water are the two the two things that like it's the two biggest industries that at this point are necessary for our survival and the way that we operate. Water, of course, always, because there are areas of the world, and even in America, where water is not clean. And so the ability to like transport water to those areas is is necessary. Um and then there are also like so many areas where electricity is like giving them pretty much the ability to live in those areas. So the the those are kind of the two biggest areas that I see as being like big struggles. I think rent is going to be a pretty easy one to overcome because you pretty much just boycott rent for long enough, and then after enough time, it's like okay, well, there's nothing really that can be done. Otherwise, it's like the only option is you start enacting martial law on your renters, and that is just a one way ticket to never making rent ever again. So that's that's kind of a stupid decision, but I can see companies still holding on to water and electricity for a very long time and finding a way around that is something that I am in a process of developing ideas for. Well, we know we know that Royal Rife and Nikola Tesla, they knew, they were shown, and there were many others in their time too. They weren't the only ones, but they're the ones who were public and they were, all of what they were sharing was literally stolen from them 
and they were deemed crazy because they saw and practiced how to take energy out of the time-space fabric and how that equation is, what it is, explaining it, and how to actually utilize it practically. Mm-hmm. That's still there. We still can use it. Yeah, that's true. It's still and there. I feel as though also as the environment changes, like there are a lot of different ways to harvest water. And if people really did start taking their money out of funding. So first of all, one of the ways that having uh, like localized communes would really change our environmental impact is people would, it would be less necessary for people to use transportation to get around. Oh, yeah, I mean, because the, they'd be spending actually most of their time in their home environment. That is a big key right yeah. there is when you are growing your food, when you are focused on your own community, you don't really need to go anywhere. Yeah. So that takes transportation out of the equation unless you want to do long distance travel to other people, places to see other people. Honestly, Europe has got it going on and so does Asia with the trains. Mm-hmm. They really do. And the trains can be powered by free energy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I really, I mean, we know that fossil fuel cars, automobiles, trucks, all of that, motor vehicles, that is eventually going, that's going to shift. It has uh-huh. to shift. It can't continue the way that it is because it's running itself out. Mm-hmm. And I can see that. But everybody has to stop buying anything new. We don't need anything new. We have everything on this mm-hmm. planet. Everything's already been made. Factories don't need to make anything new. It isn't necessary. We need to take what we already have. And, and people talk about this, have been talking about this for decades. Mm-hmm. This is not new. I watch all of these channels. I've listened to all of these podcasts. I've met a ton of people who all say the same thing. Mm -hmm. You take what we have and you refurbish it. You make it new and eco and sturdy. And we have to come together. And we literally do. This is something that you and I have been talking about for years. This is something that we've been looking for. And it's something that I, what I feel like I'm seeing to get back to the original transmission from mm-hmm. within and higher self and the guides is I'm seeing as the observer in fourth dimension, all of this duality playing out. And it's like, now that I said, okay, we're staying here in Oregon. I've already, I've scouted. Mm-hmm. The only place that I would consider moving to in order to go into an already established community would be central or South America. Mm-hmm. Because they've already done it and I'm not reinventing the wheel. Mm-hmm. Here in Oregon, there are communities started already. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, let's commit to staying here while we're going to stay in America. Mm-hmm. And it's like now all of a sudden, this, these doors are opening. Mm-hmm. And it's showing, all right, so as we're moving into a space where I can actually start to garden again. Mm-hmm have all the supplies i'm just waiting for the space i'm waiting for you know to see what my light is like and all of that um we have to see what the kitchen looks like if i can do some of it in the kitchen which means i have to buy um a little greenhouse kit Mm -hmm. because it's to keep the cats out from eating it Mm -hmm. and it's totally doable everybody can do this what i realized in 2020 when i created the deck garden and i brought it inside because this is before we had the cats i brought it inside for the winter and i was like 
You know, people say greens grow year round, but it's so awesome to have <laughs> your greens grow year round. Yeah. Lettuces are a little bit more delicate. I mean, you can't grow fruit like that very easily unless you've got like massive but, grow I mean, technically, lights, and I didn't. If we're talking about nutrition, greens provide more nutrition than lettuces, oh, right? Oh, heck yeah. So it would be more worthwhile to just invest in crops that provide you with the most nutrition. Absolutely. This is where you have to get into superfoods, mm-hmm. nutrient-dense foods. This is where you have to get in. And this is where, and this is what I want to get into. My intention is, is then to look for Chinese longevity herb seeds so mm. that I can start growing. Because I already drink them in my teas every day. Mm-hmm. I need to grow them myself. Mm-hmm. And it's very doable in this climate. Mm-hmm. Very doable. And so, yes, it's, the, it's also the point of what are you growing? Are you just growing whatever you like? Or are you going to be growing food that's super potent that is going to give you the nutrition that you need? So that your appetite is satisfied, is satiated, so that you're not looking for more food. Because as we know, the food is so depleted of nutrition right now that people are still hungry even when their stomach is full. Mm-hmm. And their body is continuing to look for nutrition and they overeat and they're, you know, they're, they're, they've got a processed tongue. And so they're looking for that hyper flavor of artificial. Yep. It coats the tongue. And when you are, you know, when you're eating candy as a kid, and you're eating artificial flavor. And then we wonder why kids don't like fruit. Yep. Or we wonder why kids don't like vegetables. That's that's what I meant earlier when I said it's like people are going to have to sacrifice some of you're the ways going of to life. Have to, you're, first of all, you're going to have to bite the bullet and do the cleanse. Mm-hmm. And as you know, I'm like the cleanse queen. I, man, cleansing is essential. And you have to put bitter food in your body. You need to get bitter food on your tongue. You need to get bitter food through your liver and gallbladder. You need to put bitter food through your digestive system. Mm -hmm. You have to get out of glucose and get into bitter. And when you can get bitter running through your body for a minimum of 14 days in a row and no glucose, you will, your body will eliminate plastics, waxes, gums, Mm -hmm. fossil fuels. I mean, most people have no idea how much oil They're eating on a daily basis. They're literally eating petrol Mm -hmm. and it clogs up your system and you got to get that out. And once you get that out, your taste buds, you have five sections of your palate, of your tongue, Mm -hmm. taste buds pop up. And when you have done, even like, even if you've done like a three day water fast, oh my gosh, celery has the most intense flavor. Greens are, I mean, apples are like, like candy. You're like, I had no idea. Like I remember when I broke my, I broke a water fast and I had watermelon for the first time. And I didn't like watermelon growing up because I ate processed food and I sobbed. <gasps> I had no idea. <laughs> the watermelon was, this is amazing. It's such a gift. Thank you. And I'm like eating the watermelon. I'm sobbing. I even like the seeds. Oh my God. I didn't even know. I didn't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> and you have like that level of gratitude where you're like wow mother nature is perfect why would i ever want to eat anything fake again ever you know when i when i did a when i did in my first 14 day juice cleanse just green juice with stevia powder no fruit no glucose and this is this is back in uh, 2008 and I did my first 14-day juice cleanse. All green juices. And I did like 
you know, a couple quarts in a day. And then you do colonics and then you take a lot of bitters. Mm-hmm. After a while, you taste the sweet and bitter. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no idea they're sweet and bitter. Oh, how cool is that? Look at that. Well, your body cleans out and then all your senses heighten and sharpen. And so we talk about you have to sacrifice something. But what you're sacrificing is the dullness. Oh, it's, oh yeah. It's all mind. 100%. Oh, it's yeah. all mind. And then your mind becomes so apparent to you. And what I loved every single time I would do a water fast or a juice cleanse, juice cleansing for long periods of time, as you know, I did a year and a half juice cleanse. Oh my gosh, my vision, so sharp. And the colors, it was like a psychedelic experience. And I hadn't done psychedelics yet. And I was just like, wow. I remember the, the morning I was going to break the, break the uh, three-day water fast. And I look outside through the kitchen window and I'm like, wow. <laughs> look at the blue of the sky. Look what's happened to me. Oh my gosh, look at the green of the grass. Look at that tree. Look at the colors. <gasps> look at that. And then you, came, you woke up in the morning and you came upstairs and your eyes were like, sky blue and i'm like wow look at the blue in your eyes and then i thought i don't want to break this fast yeah i and i was so high and my ear my hearing was so sharp i could smell even when i have a psychic sense of smell but man i could i was just like i think somebody down the road is cooking bacon that's disgusting oh my god i can smell that all the way over here that's crazy everything was so high my skin was so smooth i had so much energy so calm. Mm-hmm. So when we think about the sacrifice, it's a sacrifice. When you talk about being lazy, yes, humans are lazy, mm-hmm. especially Americans. Mm-hmm. Americans are very lazy. And I lived in the third world country for six months. And I'll tell you, you learn, you learn how to live very simply. It is incredibly satisfying. It's very fulfilling to live simply. And I already do, but I live, you know, I I live in a first world country. I live in the West. It is, it's like in your nature. And then you realize when you get out of being so codependent upon the mall, car, everything, because I didn't have a car in South America. I'm like, I'm doing great. This is not only am I doing this, but this is actually really easy. I've got, I got all this community, it's all this community and you get that support when you're with a community where you're all supporting each other, you're not as hungry. Hunger starts to diminish. This is how, when they talk about tribes that didn't eat every day, you don't need to so much because you have each other and you're supporting, you have laughter. Laughter is incredibly nourishing. Thank you so much uh, to everyone who listened to this week's episode of the podcast. Uh, Feel free to check us out on Instagram at One Long Conversation to get some updates on our future episodes, our future content. Um, You can also follow us on Patreon and become a member. We have a lot of interesting and awesome perks and uh, cool ways to connect with us and, and our community that we're forming there. So go over to Patreon uh, at One Long Conversation. And you'll find us there. Um, we also have these episodes going out on YouTube now. So if you go to YouTube yet again at One Long Conversation, uh, you will find video versions of these episodes. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. We'll see you next time.